Welcome to the More Than Words podcast. We are your aunties of inclusion. This is Liz. And this is Shara. I did we got it, it right. <laughs> we got it right. I probably shouldn't have said, oh, we did it. <laughs> I know. Admitting, like we admitting just... de- defeat. No, you didn't. De- you actually did it. We did it today. We got that. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Liz, uh, sometimes when she starts this thing off with the welcome, she just starts going on like I ain't here. So she'd be like, oh, this is one of the worst. And so what happened was I'm like, Liz, um, I'm here. I'm present. She'll even say my name. So I'll be like, do I need to be here? Because I could just go on and I got things to do if you want me to be gone. But hey, everybody, welcome to Water Words. This is, uh, of course, Erin and Liz, your host for today. Listen, we're going to jump right into it, right? Because Liz is out there busy, busy. And so, you know, as y'all know, we like to at least start off with an auntie moment. So that auntie moment coming real fast, real fast today. Guess what? Because... I want to recognize, okay, for those of you who don't know what an auntie moment is, okay, okay, you just going to have to go look at a little episode because we got to go, we got to go. But listen, first and foremost, this person right here, Liz, I'm so proud of you. Liz casted a vision don't last year. Don't make me year. cry. Stop, don't, don't, be, don't do this. Liz casted a vision a couple, a, a couple of years ago about moving to the UK with her family. She has done literally everything you could imagine, okay? I've been here since she was packing up containers, okay? When she was just like, don't give me nothing else. I got two bags, I'm out. And <laughs> what had held everything up, after everything I checked off, Liz was the last thing <laughs> to get on the plane. And so last night, she got the call. And by the time you listen to this, FYI, she already gone. So you just behind, but just celebrate with us. Liz got her visa. She goes to the UK, be with her boys in her new house. Hold it up, hold it up, hold it up. She got that passport, y'all. Y'all know if you ain't watching that YouTube, you'll know. I mean, that's been a such a process. Um, Just and an experience. Let me tell you what, uh, moving countries and doing things that are life changing take some freaking guts. Mm-hmm. People who do it are so brave. People who move over and even if it's within the United States, you know, you're 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 moving from your comfort zone and we took on, you know, my husband and I took on both boys and 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 said, "Yeah, we can do this. We want to do this." Um and catch catch our um after hours um and questions from our audience and you'll know why why we're moving over to the UK. But yes, that was such a process. And, you know, I think in our last episode or an episode beforehand, I talked about my auntie moment was with my tias and watching how resilient they are and how brave all of them have been and are and were in, in, in their entire lives. And and I think watching them gave me the resilience to be able to do something so bold. And has it been scary? Yep. Uh, have I? Were there times where I'm like, "What am I doing?" Yep. <laughs> but I put a lot of faith in Stuart and I's decision, and um, also I leaned a lot on my community, and which you know we're gonna, we have a guest today coming on the show. And we're going to talk about that community and the power of that. And I will admit for a long time, I did feel like I had to do things on my own a lot. 
um, you know, I think about going back, transitioning from high school to college, where I was the first one to go to college in my family. Um, I didn't know how to fill out the applications. I didn't know what financial aid was. I didn't know about scholarships. Um, and many, and I couldn't go to my parents because they didn't know. Um, and, and so I had to do a lot of that stuff on my own and without realizing like how many resources there were out there, the community that could help you. And like, if you just reached out, like there's a ton of people that are willing to help you and are able to help you. And also too, if you go reach out, what's the worst? And someone doesn't help you. What's the worst that can happen? Like they just say no. And then you just find someone else. Someone else is going to be willing to help you. But anyways, that I'm, I'm happy. I'm overwhelmed and I'm going, I'm going home, which yes. home is wherever my, my family's at. <laughs> yes. First of all, y'all, I, that's, this is my girl. So this is a moment for all of us, but just FYI. So when I was like, when I first brought this topic up, I didn't know she was going to go serious, serious like that. So I had to really <laughs> taper my face down. So whoever saw the video, I was real hyped because I thought this was like a happy hour moment, but this ended up being like a wedding toast. You know what I mean? So I had to just... <laughs> oh, yeah. So when it's all like, ching, 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 ching. I was just like, okay, And everybody's so... like, shots, shots, shots. Yeah, and then and you're like... like Oh, oh no, no. I'm crying. Like, why? <laughs> why they gotta go back to your childhood? Why they gotta talk about when you was little? Man, oh man, we cried now. Ooh, we're I, 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 man, I'm just so glad you shared your story. Like, I'm already proud of you as a person being a part of your network, man. This is a moment. Like, when you got your visa, I was like, we got our visa because I know where I got to go. I know I got me a little place. The things get too crazy over. I'm like, hey, so listen, sis. Uh, <laughs> I already booked the flight. I just need you to pick me up. Okay, <laughs> you're gonna be there at the airport what are you doing up so early uh yeah. i'm at the airport just pick me up matter of fact send me your address now so i got call me like so what happened was when y'all get up for breakfast just open the door <laughs> you're just you'll just have the door open putting the kettle on and be like hey where's my cafecito Girl, hey. you already talking about the kettle. Listen, you that tar- switched it up. Oh, child. Okay. You get that visa and things change. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Who got the kettle? When did we ever pull that out? Okay, so well. Who is that a kettle? No. <laughs> so, you know, the other thing, Shara, that I'm thinking about, too, that's just coming up for me is um, saying the word, I'm proud of you. You you say that a lot to to your to, to us, your friends, people that work with you. Like, you you say that. And it's always welcomed. I'm not saying it like, oh, you, you overuse it. But it's 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 so welcomed and it's so genuine. So thank you for for always saying that to me because it, it it's like, it's almost like you, when you hear positive messages and, and that goes into your brain, like it, it, you tend to like then believe it, right? And you're like, you know yeah. what? Yeah, I'm, Cher is proud of me. Why can't I be proud of me too? So right. That's I a wanna, good point. That's right? a good point. That's so, a good point because I mean, you had that conversation with me about being kind. I was like, kind? I don't think I'm a kind person, but okay, I'll take that. I'm going to add that on my list. Like, when they be like, who are you? I'm like, I'm a kind person. Yeah. That's what my friend said. My friend said I was kind. I was like, what? My friend said I was kind, so I'm kind. I was like, I don't think I like this word, but I'm going to use it just because I think it's nice. I was like, mm, kind? Mm, maybe. Well, we're, we are going to have a whole episode on. Don't say kind. it. Don't. Why you gotta start? I told you I wasn't ready for that conversation. I need the dictionary for kind. I don't think I got the right characteristics, but let's move to our guest. Let's move to our guest. 
So Liz, first and foremost, before we move to our guests, I, I just want to say I'm so proud of you. And I do want to be clear that I am wishing you, all of us, more than words, everybody behind the scenes, front of the scenes in the network, we just so excited for you. And just look, bask in it. Don't feel rushed. We got your bag on over there, get settled in. But just know that that door always open. All you got to do is say, I'm on the flight. I'm like, all right, I got the room ready. Okay, always for you and the boys. So family is always wherever we the love is so we just love you and we can't wait for you to have the best but moving to our guests go ahead Liz hit it up hit it up so this guest um typically how we introduce our guests is we don't go through their credentials and their bios necessarily we go to the person that they are so I have known this person of this person for a long time it's almost been 12 years I've known of this person and I've always heard stories of this person from one of my friends my she's my sister not my real sister y'all like my anyways y'all know y'all know me by now but let's <clears throat> clear my throat you know you always got family you can't help it everybody your family listen at this point just we know just go on just Everybody's go on. invited to the barbecue though everybody but the thing is you don't know who to listen just stop we'll know we'll just let it go we love okay. you so so this person has i knew um her name is sonia i uh i've known of her so my sister has always talked about her they and they've been fair friends for many 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 years and um she um I know of her story because I support the organization that she um, is is part of, that she's one of the founding members and the board members of this organization. Um, it's something that's very, very close and dear to my heart, and I've always supported it through my friend. And so when I when I go in and I support something, I do a lot of research. I research the people who organize it, their value system and and um, what they stand for and who they help. And when I got um, into this organization called Zoe's Angels um, here in Houston, one, it's, it's, it's for, I, I won't go into the details of the organization because I want um, Sonia to share that, but um, it's something helping parents and parents who have lost um, a child. Uh, they've been in, you know, in the hospital for a long time. And, and they experienced that as well. And um, when my friend talked about Sonia, she always talked about her and this person with so much grace, so much strength, so much love, so much wisdom. And one of those people that just gives and gives and gives. And so I knew I wanted her on this podcast to talk about Zoe's Angels. That's how it started. And then we went to our discovery call and it evolved into her story. And I'm like, you know what? Like, that's what we want to hear. So I don't want to take her thunder. I want Sonia to come up onto the screen and, and come onto our come podcast. On, Sonia, come on down. See what Hello. you want. You're horrible. Just OMG, speaking <laughs> of happy hour to a wedding toast. Right. Okay. Okay. I was like, wait a minute, sis. We cried today because we ain't cried because I ain't got nothing in me today. I ain't got nothing in me. Cheers. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers to tears. Yeah, show everyone your coffee cup, Sonia, because it's so cute. 
So wait, Toya, let me just say, first of all, uh, for the audience though, um, we just, so we least talked about uh, a trigger warning, which is we may have topics that maybe talk about the loss or grief of a child or, uh, it, so it may be triggering. So trigger warning. However, I caveat that because Sonya is a ball of energy. So I'm going to tell you right now, this conversation ain't going to go how you think it's going to go because you about to get all this personality that you're not ready for. Because when I met Sonya, I was like, kindred spirits. I think we might be kindred spirits. So I just want y'all to know, keep that in mind. Use the discretion that you need. Be, you know, actively listen. So if you're not in that space, that's fine. But Sonya herself is just, uh, is the energy that you've been looking for. I just want y'all to know that. So Sonya, welcome to the Water Words Podcast. We're so glad to have you. First and foremost, Liz told me about you before we ever had a discovery call. I was like, oh my goodness, you know, I was coming in all serious. And when I come on that phone, all that energy <laughs> was given. <laughs> I said, who? I said, wait a minute. I thought I had to be like, I had, my, I was prepared. I had my little tissue box and stick case. They got serious. And all I got was energy. And I was like, I love you. And I don't know how, how that happened in 37 minutes. Like, I don't know. That's right. So, <laughs> so Sonia, listen, we like to uh, welcome our guests with, um, by letting our listeners hear about who you are, similar to what Liz already said. And really want to start off with our diversity wheel. So for those of you just joining us, our diversity wheel is how we get to know our guests. We don't lead with our occupations. We lead with who we are as people because that is how we show up in the world every day. Um, And so with that said, Sonia, what are your top three dimensions that you think are important for you um, as you look at the diversity wheel? Yeah, so, so many are great, but the three are faith and spirituality, uh, nationality, ethnicity, and parental status. And tell I think people more. wouldn't really tell us more about that. Right. You can't just you can't just start off like that. Add, for those that can't see the video, she had the auntie finger up. Uh, and she's like, don't yeah. lean in on me and like if, that. And if you understand a little bit of Spanish, that's my tia finger. I'm a tia. I'm tia. A okay, so the tia finger is real because that means <laughs> listen up. We need to have a chat. So what's so funny is. This is the authentic Sonia, which it took a journey to get back to who I really am. But when you do, then you spot things off a diversity wheel and you can actually give three instead of the old Sonia who was like, well, a little bit of the 25, let's talk about them. These three are key in my story, both when I felt imposter syndrome and when I feel my most authentic self. That's how you know it's real. So just to highlight the three, I think for me, I'm, I'm a native Houstonian, which is important because most people transplant and they move here, but I grew up here. Uh, Mexican-American, so U.S. citizen, but Mexican family. Mom came to the United States when she was seven. Um, Catholic, a Mexican Catholic, that's real. (laughs) Which is very, very specific. There's something very unique for Mexican Catholic individuals That's for right. sure. I'm Latina and Catholic, but Mexican Catholic. We got saints all over the house. We got church. Activity. Where's my holy water? Where's the holy water? Right here. Right here. <laughs> I was about to say, what's um, your, I, I'm leaning in. I was like, I ain't never heard of this Mexican Catholic. Y'all going to give me the details. Y'all making me nervous. It's real. It's <laughs> real. Use those adjectives. Use those adjectives. It's real. But I think the, the 
faith and spirituality. My mom was also very spiritual. It wasn't just about the routine of Catholicism. It was about a personal relationship, right? The, the Mexican-American was, I was never American enough for Mexicans. I was never Mexican enough for, right? So you always had this two American, two Mexican, didn't really fit in either group. So I think I have this natural affinity toward anybody who's biracial, mm. where they never get to feel like their own person because they're trying hard to fit into one of the two groups or more, and they never really feel completely accepted. So I kind of felt that as a Mexican-American, and that plays into my story. Parental status, believe it or not. I'm single, no kids, and I'm a tia who loves all children, not just my own by blood, but my friends who are my sisters, Shara. All right. Um, love their children, and they call me Tia Sonia. So to me, childhood dream was to be a mother. I mean, I'm talking childhood dream. When y'all wanted to be astronauts and teachers and doctors and nurses, I was like, I really just want to be a mom. But I was very embarrassed in career day, elementary school, to hold up a picture that said, here's me with all these kids. I want to be a mom. I mean, who does that? Nobody. But I wanted to be a mom. I am now living a life where not only I'm not a mom, but uh, can't bear children. Okay. And then there's this thing of being a Mexican female who can't have children. So to me, that parental status played into a lot of my early challenges, also played into my stereotypes. If you think about it in the corporate world, I was the employee with no kids. So you know how they treated that. Um, and then also it was the healing process of, I'm not a mom, but I was given this big mama bear heart as we talked about earlier. And as I listened to your, you know, your auntie moments, I'm like, uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I have a big mama bear heart, but no kids. So in the beginning, that was hard to, to see the worthiness in that. But today it's about, ooh, I can give that in very different ways. And so now I've found the richness in that experience. So those are the three to me that there's good and bad to it. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that it always defines your good. It defines all your stuff, right? Well yeah, so you started the first of all, it's so many questions here. Well, I just go, I'm just gonna give you a big one because I would say right now, I'm a, okay, so you're gonna have to run this down for me. So you know, my blackness over here trying to get nosy. So I wanna understand. So you all of these pieces that you said, like your ethnicity, your faith, your spirituality, your parental status, you started to kick in to talk a little bit about the stereotypes attached to some of them. But can you go down each one of those dimensions and talk about some of the stereotypes that show up? Because for a person like myself I'm curious because I'm like oh I can resonate with some of those pieces because I am single and I don't have any children and I have to deal with oh how do I tell people that my time is important but I don't got nothing to attach it to that most people value right but it's like okay so that's that I got that but there's so many other pieces that I'm like the Mexican-American you know that in-group out-group piece that you're talking about like please tell us tell the audience a little bit more about what stereotypes are attached to each one those pieces yeah so if we think of my corporate experience as an example um among latinos because latinos are are so different south american central american different than those from spain right very different cultures very different traditions very different stereotypes of each other so what i would get is but sonia you're different you don't have an accent that's why you're progressing and I was trying to coach to say, actually, no, what they need you to be is more strategic. Actually, what they need is for you to be able to be succinct in, in your presentation. Actually, what they want for you to be is uh, more engaged. You tend to be quiet. 
They want to quote unquote, hear your voice in the room. I hated that line, but that's what we'd hear all the time. They wanna see more edge. Some Latinas tend to be very soft and, and collaborative versus seeing you step up and exert edge is what they would call it. I didn't know what that meant either, but it comes through, right? That from my own, it was, well, you're different. That's why it works for you. Instead of acknowledging, Liz said it earlier, I mean, it'd be nice to hear, I'm proud of you, Sonia. I'm proud of you mm -hmm. for what this represents for all of us. I'm proud of you for your work in this space. You're so good at doing, it was more of, well, you know, they like people like you. Mm -hmm. I also had managers who said, you're not like them. You're different. You know, you got this, Sonia. You're not like them. I'm like, them who? Yep. Who is them? My people? Like my mom? Who are you talking about, right? So it would come out in that way. It would come out in a... Um, uh, you either make the assumption that Latinas do everything hard. J-Lo one time said, we do everything hard. We dance hard. We sing hard. We play hard. We work hard. We get mad hard. I was like, J-Lo, can you bring that down a little bit? Because they already think I'm going to be an angry Latina <laughs> at work. Or it was the opposite. We're demure. We're shy. We're subservient. You know, she'll be okay with that point one less on her ranking. She won't fight. She's got good humility. She's got good faith good spirituality, she'll be fine. The other one, we gotta give it to the point one because you know, she gets loud. You know, so a lot of times I felt that that impact my performance rating, that, that impact my evaluation, that that impact my ability to secure that project lead. So it came up in different ways, right? And then the faith spirituality component um, was, was something that played into more of this, she always has perspective of the greater good. So she's willing to give up on her boundaries because, you know, she's all about that bigger thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we, we can do that. We can, we can use that a little bit more as opposed to using it for good. It was a little bit more, well, we could take a little bit more opportunity there. So it showed up. It definitely showed up in all those spaces. You know, it's interesting that you shared that. I think this is the first time on our podcast that we've heard about the in-between, right? The, the bridger. Right. There, there's so many of us, right. They are not in the, that can pick and choose when we're in the in group or the out group, but we actually don't exist in any per se place. Right. It's like we're the just movie, the bridge. It's like the movie and, and all the Latinos and especially the Latino Americans will relate to the Selena movie when her dad's talking about like, you gotta like tortillas and you like, gotta like bread. You gotta know, you know, who Vicente Fernandez is and Frank Sinatra and it's like you're having a constantly that's why you know whenever i talk about my sh shape shifting and my chameleon qualities um i had to do that because i couldn't navigate in both spaces and then what ended up happening with me sonia and thank you for sharing that because man i feel so seen right now <laughs> i feel so seen um you know i came from an industry that was very what white male dominated not very many Latinos, especially up in the top ranks, even fewer Latinos up there, right? Um, especially Latinas. And I come from, I'm on the fiery side of the Latina. I am, I, I'm like, Jayla, I go hard. I do this. I got that's hard. I'm, I'm, I'm out there, right? Unless I'm facilitating and then I'm very, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I still bring my personality through, but obviously like, I'm not so fiery at that point. But, you know, like when we talk about like representation matters and, you know, how are we going to 
keep up with the census. So in, in our census for 2020 came out, we are a diverse nation. And how are organizations going to how are how are organizations going to match what our census look like? You know, does your organization match in all dimensions and all levels what the census looks like, right? Because then at that point, then yeah, okay, well then we're 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 reaching that that diversity level. But it's like have seen someone up there that looks like me that um hasn't had to assimilate and in their behavior and who they truly are, you know, it gives me hope. I didn't see that for my entire career. So I kind of just, I kind of just gave up a little bit. And I was, and I said, uh, I, I know exactly what I'm capable of doing. I know the qualities that I have as a leader. I know what I can do from a technical standpoint, but you know what? I don't want to fight that uphill battle because what I'm going to have to go up against is going to be really, really hard. And am I going to lose myself as I do that, right? And I know your story in our discovery call, we talked a lot about that shift that mm -hmm. you went from corporate America into who you are right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. And you said something to me during that, that conversation I said, well, what prompted you to to start to do this shift, you know? Um, and you talked about the desperation of it. Yeah. So I want to share that with listeners because I've definitely gone through it, which is why I'm here today. Mm -hmm. And I know you have a very similar story. So do you mind sharing that with the listeners? Yeah, no, not at all. Because um, I think it's it's the most important first step for all of us is to share your honest story and you don't have to share it with other people. You just need to talk it out loud to yourself. Um, and people ask me that all the time. Well, what prompted you? And the important word is prompt because you had to take action for it to actually happen. But the first thing that people need to do anything is you need a prompt. You need a prompt to get back into your exercise. You need a prompt to shift your diet. I needed a prompt to make the shift. And for me, it was, it was desperation. And what did that look like? That snapshot in time, um, I was at the highest level of stress I'd ever experienced in my job. Think about a DNI professional, which you two would truly appreciate this. This is George Floyd. This is Ahmad Aubrey. This is a perceived, whether you see it or not, because I'm open to everybody's perspective, from my vantage point of a perceived just division in our country of how we saw issues they were, there was not even like a debate or curiosity we were just at odds in my opinion there was a coronavirus global pandemic and many other things I don't even want to talk about it so at that time as a DNI professional let's be honest I saw people's ugliness I saw people's true colors I saw people's desperate plea for unity and peace and harmony right all at the same time on top of that physically my body was deteriorating why i found out just that year prior that finally after all these years of being sick and people saying it's in your head because all your labs are normal we don't know what's wrong and i was screaming out for help it was an autoimmune illness that was wreaking havoc on my body hashimoto's which is a thyroid condition so literally chronic pain daily, 
all day, every day, no rest from it, fatigue, um, fever, it didn't matter what the symptoms were, I had them. So your body's breaking down. Um, and then you are also in the midst of, on top of all that, you're still running this organization, which is the namesake for the baby that your own family lost in 2011, right? So just there's sheer not enough time in the day. And I think that's what prompted my shift is all of that to say, you know, enough, you have that moment, enough, something has to give. And now that Sonia who had grace, that Sonia who had calmness, even in the storms of life, that Sonia that everybody could lean on for mentoring and coaching and support was breaking, breaking. And that was my prompt. And that being that matriarch, essentially, you know, being yes. that matriarch and having to, you had that prompt in your life because you had enough and your, your body was giving you the signs like this isn't okay, you've reached your limit. How did, how did your mind and your heart reconcile through this, I can't be the matriarch right now, I need to take time for myself? Or did that even happen? Yeah, I, I think what's funny is um, body, mind, spirit, heart, right? That, that to me has become something really interesting that I want I wanted to research and dive into. Because how many times do we say, you know, mind over matter? It's all about positive thinking. You know, we, how many times have we pushed ourselves through? Think of a car that you never stop at the gas station for gas. But I'm going to will my way into driving to Austin, Texas from Houston. I'm going to do it. I'm going to drive that car. It's on E. The light's on. Won't turn on. I'm driving to Austin. Who does that? <laughs> Me, this girl, you, everybody on this listening, right? We, I drove a car on E for how long? And then mad because the engine's messed up, the alternator's messed I'm mad. How That's such you? a good point. Like you're getting mad because you're having all these ailments and you're going through, you're like, ah, and it's because we always tend to look outwardly, right? Yeah. When I go through my coaching clients, I was like, okay, can you bring it inwardly? Can you bring it into yourself? It's like, nah, like, the the tires the heat the heat <laughs> the tires the you do, don't they know what I got going on in Austin Texas right I don't think do okay right. people depending upon me you like, don't know who I am right <laughs> and I you know what that's the funniest <laughs> that's the funniest thing to look back on that to be honest with you the health part and how we were like this is such an annoyance like I gotta get the work how crazy is that now oh. like sitting right now I'm sitting here listening to this I'm like I used to say that and there was nothing wrong with it for a very long time and now I'm like okay y'all uh this sounds very unhealthy and why did I not notice this at all and my job was either DNI at a time like that or it was severances and restructure where they would say hey guys we're changing the tires of the car while it's moving let's go I'm like who does that I thought we were safety first Right. But you know what? Though? That eats at you too. That eats at you too. Like once again, I mean, my HR our background, when you have to reduce staff, 
I don't care. I know there's videos floating out there where people saying crazy things about, you know, them being happy. That was that stuff is like, but the people who actually do that, I mean, it. I tell people all the time, it chipped away bits and pieces of me physically and mentally that I don't think I could ever get back because it is like losing. It's like grieving every time it happens. Like absolutely, and and seeing it from like I have a friend of mine who has to make those difficult decisions in in her company, and and. And it started like seven years ago in 2015. And every time it happens, right? Because now it's like just part of, it's like a normal part of life and you end up being like desynthesized to things like that. But it's it chips away at someone and someone's carrying that burden. And I could see it in her and the burden that she's had to carry. And, and I mean, she's just like, I'm tired. I can't do this anymore. And I remember my nutritionist, because I, I see a nutritionist, <laughs> I didn't know how to eat vegetables, so I had to see a nutritionist. <laughs> and um, I only knew how to eat tomato and onions from the salsa. But, you know, that's just me growing up. I'm sure other people have had True vegetables. Story. In there. True story. <laughs> so my nutritionist asked me this, like, question, and we're really good friends as well, too. And she said, how many layoffs have you gone through? And I said, about seven or eight. And she's like... And not that I've been laid off, but that, you know, I've, I've witnessed my friends and like, you know, having to support other people who are having to make those difficult decisions. Right. She's like, can you imagine like the amount of stress and like this flight or fight mode that you're constantly having to go through? Like, hello, that's why you keep eating those brownies. Mm, okay. Yeah. That's, exactly. that's a good point. <laughs> exactly. So if you think about it, that's all of what we've been talking about around um, what seeps in, whether you think you, anybody who says they're desensitized, there's very few people I've met who are actually desensitized. Mm -hmm. We compartmentalize. It doesn't mean it didn't seep in. That's a good point. Right? Yep. So I, I always question people when I'm coaching about, are you really desensitized? Because if you are, you know, we need to have some psychopathic conversations about what that might lead to. But for the most part, a lot of us are not, we're just not, we're not human beings are, are not quite capable of doing that in most cases. For me, high empath, highly sensitive person, it wasn't seeping in, it was flooding. It was flooding me out, right? And all of those at the same time, where you're not physically now fueling your body. Science says you have to fuel your body with food, whole foods. You have to hydrate your body with water. You have to replenish your body with sleep. And then you have to develop muscle in your body for strength through exercise. And I did none because who had time to stop at the restroom, the loo? Who had time for the loo? I love that. That's for Liz. Um, who had time for the loo when I had a meeting? That was very important. Right. Right. And back to back meetings, by the way, where there was no gaps until you you just decide to just be late to one. Right. Yeah. Like, and what and tells who, us that we can't stop and say, hey, like, I got to go to the loo and yeah. go to the toilet. Right. Like, why? what stops me from saying, like, putting a boundary up and saying, like, I got to have five minutes like this isn't OK. What what happens in yeah. our minds? So Liz, you asked me about the heart and the mind. Right. And how you reckon, does it reconcile that eventually? Honestly, think it does. And I think sometimes we're on autopilot for survival mode and we don't listen to it. So here's what happened. I had a conversation with a leader. She's one of the most 
I mean, I'm, I admire her the most, okay? Biracial leader, um, young, strong, smart, capable, articulate. Every leader loves her and wants her on her team. She still believes she has imposter syndrome. I sat across from her and I said, listen, I'm not gonna use her real name. Mary, listen here, Mary. Why are we setting ourselves on fire to keep everybody warm? I'm so angry. Why are we setting ourselves on fire to keep everybody warm? When that came out of my mouth, that came out because it was a Latina who was angry. Angry Latina say some really crazy good stuff. Good stuff, Jim. I was gonna say that's that's a that's a one. That's a right mic drop. Unfiltered. We are crazy. Okay, and so the crazy came out just finally because it broke through all my fakeness, and I was like, why are we setting ourselves on fire to keep people warm? Now I needed her face. Her face was like that expression still sits with me today when I say it out loud. And then I don't know if we can say certain words on on your podcast. You can. You but can. I was like, and why am I setting myself on fire for the assholes at work? Mm. It's not even good people. Well, let me just let me just tell you, it's because the company culture is set up that way. And the people inside it enables it. So that's, it's all built by design. I keep telling people like, it's by design. It's working you, as it's supposed to. We talk about systematic racism. It's working racism. as it's supposed to work. Okay. The system's and, working. And that's where Sonia's heart screamed out to the mind, the mind who had been driving the car on empty to Austin. The heart was like, this is ridiculous. And I need you to hear yourself how ridiculous this is. So what's really critical is I go back to, I, I was always a sensitive kid, big heart, wore it on my sleeve. Movies make me cry, songs make me cry, happiness makes me cry, getting hurt makes me cry. <laughs> yes, I love it. Let me it too. all out. Okay. Or it makes me go Hulk. I either cry or a Hulk. Okay, right, all of that. You ain't good company, on you on this okay. one. <laughs> and I remember my dad saying, you can't always cry, you know, you can't run a business on your heart. That was, that was something in me for a long time. So I became extra calm, Sonia, extra even keel, Sonia, extra balanced, Sonia. When my heart screamed out, that was, that was the four-year-old heart that was like, you remember her? Mm, that inner child, that inner child will come out. You She's don't got real. time for it. If you don't got time for it, it'll come for you. She's it'll real. Say- and she came out and was like screaming like a, like a good four-year-old does in the aisle of a grocery store and was like, listen, I need you to, I need you to hear yourself, right? You're, yeah. you're setting yourself on fire to keep bad people warm. Mm. Well, you know what? This is a good point, a good point, a good pause, I would say, to ask the question, what would you tell your younger self though? Because mm. I will say, oftentimes it's great in hindsight, but when you're thick in it, and most people don't know they're thick in it. Like someone's listening to this right now and it's like, man, that was bad for them. And they sitting in the same pot right yeah. now, just cooking up. Or they're yeah. saying the things of like, well, it works for them, but it's not like I'm my, my story's different. Right. Like people who are listening right now in the car, doing their walks or whatever. Like, I know that's what you're thinking. <laughs> Listen to Sonia. We're, we're giving you permission right now to say no. <laughs> say no say no say no, no. Say no it's to that not, 
it's not anybody else. It's happening to you. And you got the permission to experience it. So we give you permission. But but Sonia, what would you say? Because I'm telling you right now, it I know, and I've listened to plenty of stories. I've been on panels with people. I've sat at different conferences. I heard that story. And let, let me tell you what, in between, when they were like, oh, everybody can take a break to go walk around. I would sit there on my um, phone and be emailing um, executives and, and sending paperwork and attachments. And I have forgotten either to uh, go to the restroom or to talk to a person or do something. And I will, I will be there all day. I'll be there as long as it needs to be for somebody else, except for myself. Yeah. Yep. And it's, that's real because I, that's what I did over and over again. And I think if I go back to that year where I, where I made that decision and, and let's be real, my story says I left corporate. So I cannot tell you it's been tested and approved that you can do this while staying in corporate. I, I can't personally tell you that story, but I can tell you that I'm now gone from corporate, a place that I gave my everything. I don't know that they remember my name. I don't know that they're still using the work that they gave me accolades for. I don't know if the new people said, wow, she's so amazing. I'd like to honor her as I start this new job. No. I will tell you the people that reach out to me and want to have lunch and want to talk, how many times they say, what you did was life-changing for me. And I'm like, what did I do? And they don't say that um, PowerPoint slide that still gives me, you know, hives today. Um, they don't say that, you know, project you led. What they say is when you stayed home to work, when they asked you to come in the office, and you still led that project with grace, and then you got accolades afterwards, the courage that it took for you to stay home, that was life-changing for me. You know what was life-changing for me? Was when you sat there in that meeting and you said to that leadership team, the importance of self-care and how you and your team were gonna walk out today and go to lunch off-site and you would be unavailable. That changed my life. Now, I will tell everybody who's listening, um, it probably changed my performance rating, guys, down. <laughs> not up. Okay. It probably stopped me from getting the next project leader role. But does that matter today? No. Mm -mm. Okay. So there is sacrifice that you have to accept as part of this. But let me tell you, I mean, when, if you're a listener who is making a good income, getting 1% less, not that hard on your life. If you're a listener who's going through this and you're carrying three jobs and you cannot step away, that's a completely different scenario and they're absolutely right, okay? So you gotta find different ways to do that. For me, I tell my younger self, cry, girl, cry. But cry for the duration and cry for the cry only for the stuff that you're crying about. Don't cry about your crying. Now I'm crying because I'm a crybaby and I shouldn't have cried. Just cry about the feeling because as soon as you purge, Science says actually crying is very good for you. See, sure. you got to schedule your cries. See, this is this is where y'all this song. You don't let Liz get you involved in this. <laughs> I'm just gonna don't don't do it. I told I, I told her Sonia. I said, hey, we got to schedule our cry session at our favorite <laughs> coffee shop so that we could cry in public. This is <laughs> yeah. the. I, and she she really said this to me, Sonia. Like I was really gonna say, of course. I was like, if, if you don't get out, let of me here add it to your calendar. I, yeah. I, I, Say no. I sure did. I sure did. Let me 
me tell you about them boundaries. My boundaries are strong with that. I'd be like, listen, we is not, first and foremost, I don't want to cry. I'm happy for you. Second of all, I'm not going to be in this public tearing up for you. And then I'm, a, I'm going to be tearing up not knowing why I'm crying. So I'm like, this is not authentic work here. What are we doing here? Just stop. I'm excited. Girl, I'm about to toast you up. Like, let's go. Like, what are we doing? You know, one of the things, like, you brought this up. Okay, don't cry. I was just joking with you. Uh, but one of the things that like Cher is really good about keeping her boundaries and being and honoring those boundaries. And Sonia, I feel like that's something that you've had to learn how to do. I will fully admit to all my clients out there, it you know, honoring your boundaries, you have to have very firm whys and like, you know, why you're doing this. Because for me, like it is hard. I, I put everything else above my boundaries and you know I I what you told your client like I set myself on fire to keep everyone warm and then when I do put my boundaries and I'm like no I you know I can't go to that meeting today for whatever reason or you've tripled booked me or like no I'm I'm not going to drive across town to go see you when I'm about to leave to the UK you know like things like that with people you know they've had 18 months to come and see me um but I was still feeling guilty. I was like, oh, but, you know, maybe they really want to see me or maybe they really do need me to be there. And I think that comes from my Latin background. I want to say I, I hate blaming my culture for something like this, but it's, you know, I see my mom and like my learned behavior and I see Mama D and then I'm like, mm, that's where I get this from. Mm-hmm. Like I see you know, she gives herself to everyone. And then what she has, she what the closest people that are to her and to herself, it's like she gives the leftovers to and I had my therapist ended up telling me that, you know, you're giving everything to everything else. And you're giving yourself and your supposed priority, which is your, your husband and your kids, the leftovers. So how do we hold those boundaries in tough times? And especially coming from a Latin family. Yes. So because <laughs> that's specific. <laughs> Here's some more, Shara, get ready. Okay, so two things. You said, when you think about, no, it's the guilt. So the very first thing I'm gonna tell you, and this is the ugly truth, I'm very sorry, because I didn't like it when somebody told me that either. I am in my own way of saying no, not the people. I'm so convinced that everybody's going to have judgment on me and think about me. No, it's actually my guilt that I feel that's the problem. So the first thing you have to face that I had to face was, why do I feel guilty? Guilty leads to a long explanation. Explanations lead to too much information. Too much information leads to, oh, no, I'm back to feeling guilty because that wasn't a good enough reason to say no. What I watched in white men at work was how they brilliantly said, no, can't do that. How's next Friday? And my reaction and many others was, sure. Even though next Friday didn't work for me. So when I started to realize, wait a minute, I'm in the way, not their reaction, then I needed to work on the guilt. So when you go back to my three dimensions, my diversity wheel of ethnicity, Liz, also my kindred spirit, um, let's go back to being in the kitchen with my mom as an eldest daughter, but most importantly, the daughter. And it was hurry up and cook the meal, serve your dad's plate, serve your brothers, serve your sister because she's little, 
then my mom sat down and I was like, where's my plate? And she was like, oh, go serve it. It's over there. It was a learned behavior that everybody gets served first before me. And sometimes the order mattered, you know, men in the house more than the women. Um, yes, my mom last, what was for her. So what I saw going forward, both in work, both when I hosted friends at home, was everybody eat first and then I will go eat. And then I ate whatever was left. Yeah, you, you're always like, sitting in a little paper plate like the scraps and you're That's on a right. corner and, and you're just looking I mean but part of me you know because there's a balance right because part of me is like also that brings me joy where I feed other people but like I I could see where it carries through in the rest of my life right like at work um you know when I overcommit to things for sure like having that reality like yes I want I could still feed people I could still because I'm all about food but you can still feed people and bring people into community and we can like they can do it themselves and I can also feed myself too <laughs> so I I think you asked the perfect you asked yourself the perfect thing you know why why am I like that well I find joy in serving other people I had this conversation with my mom much later in life I was like, mom, let's be real. Was that really joyful that we all ate first and that you never tasted the best part of the chicken or whatever it was? I mean, was that really joyful, mom? Because I see when she goes out to eat, she picks the meal with the best part of the chicken mm -hmm. or she gets a steak. Not she goes, oh, I just like this little part of the chicken that nobody likes. She doesn't order that when we go out to eat. Yes, and yes. She says, oh my God, Sonia. And I said, I'm just asking because I don't want to convince myself of something based on an untruth. Good question. I had to get real. I had to get question. real and say, I I like eat. I'm a foodie. Like I like eat. I like going to every restaurant and finding new food. So I actually find a joy in eating food. Not, yeah. Not eating food. But but I think this calls out a good piece about the difference between you know that that lived experience and pulling out what is a tradition versus what is a practice, right? Like there's different things in which you. There are lessons, and we talked about this in another episode. It's like, you know, your, your family teach you all these great things, but they don't tell you when it's supposed to be used and when you shouldn't. It's almost like they give you all these great values, and they be like, and go and unleash in the world. And then they be like, oh, yeah, you're not supposed to unleash it that way after the fact, right? Like, it's what? Hey, where's that in the manual, right? Like, you could have told me this before. But <laughs> what I would say is, like, I mean, this is the constant back and forth, especially even in the Black culture, right? Like, we have those same traditions. It's like, okay, go feed, go feed your grandfather, go feed your dad, go feed this, the da, da. You go through that whole piece. And at the end of the day, they never there's never a conversation about you prioritizing yourself or any of that. But I will say to to put to give some context about at least breaking some of those those um bad those those more traditional habits, right? I wouldn't say bad because they they serve in a in a different way, but those traditional habits, my aunts and them have really come together and been kind of pushed from us, the younger folks, to say, okay, no, we need y'all to start taking care of yourself because we want to break all of that so that we can then be better people. Like when you take care of yourself, we're all better, right? And so it takes some of those moments, like what you talked about before, when you were in the automatic zone at work and you couldn't you couldn't even tell that you hadn't taken a break. It's like those automatic processes we have to keep disrupting, and we do that in our work, which is crazy, right? Like we're DNI professors, our job is to disrupt 
systems and, and, and habits and, you know, those types of things and help, you know, beliefs, disrupt beliefs, right? So that we can then recreate and, and co-create new things. So it's so interesting to kind of hear it play out across how, even across cultures and across experiences, how disruption and taking that pause, let's talk about the pause all the time, taking that pause to check in honestly and authentically with yourself so that you can then know where you are and what impact you want to have next. That's right. And, and that's where the no boundary is so important about that guilt you talked about, Liz, is that I finally got to a place of, I think for me, it was always going to be hard to take that leap to I'm a priority. I needed tiny baby steps to move. This was a ship in water. Uh, this was not like a very easy to navigate and turn, you know, be nimble. This was, I have a major Titanic ship about to hit an iceberg and I need a 90 degree angle change. Let's be real. We, uh, stop reorganizing the chairs on the deck. Like we about to hit the iceberg, right? So I had to say to make that shift, I got to make it in bits and pieces. And just like in my health, how did I shift to taking care of myself? I started giving me advice as if I was my dearest friend. So let's use Melissa, Liz. I had to pretend I was Melissa. I'm looking in the mirror telling Melissa she needs to eat right and she needs to do these things because that's what I tell Melissa even though I don't do it for myself. And then I moved to, let me find a baby picture of Sonia. You know, that little three or four-year-old Sonia that I want to be able to take her in my arms like my nieces and say, girl, you got this and give her that younger self advice. Crying's okay, but you got to move on. You are enough. Your dreams matter. Um, you got this. You know, it seems big. It's not whatever. And I'm going to talk to her and I'm going to, and I started looking at that picture saying, I would feed her this. You know, I would make sure she stops to the restroom before we go somewhere. I'll make sure that she takes a rest and takes a nap. So this girl was taking naps. Okay. So then you move to, now I'm looking in the mirror and I actually see this Sonia. And this Sonia started to look better and more like that little girl in the picture, believe it or not, even though it's gray hair and wrinkles and some frowning right here because we get no. But at the end of the day, it was like I had to move in steps. So to do that, I had to move away from my guilt in the same way. And what got me was exactly what you said, Cher, about the aunts and the family to you. I started to say, I got little kids watching me. And they're telling me they were, I would work from my sister's house during the pandemic because my AC went out and my seven-year-old niece would slide a sign under the tape, under the, are you done yet? And when you're oh, done, will you have time to play with us? Oh, pulling on my heartstrings. Right. Then on a Saturday, she was like, finally it's Saturday and you don't have to work. And I was on that laptop and that phone was ringing. That senior VP was like, can you redo this? Can you write this? Can you do this? It's for the Monday meeting. And I'm typing him the final draft. And she comes in and she says, listen, you tell him family's important. Work doesn't matter that much. Life is short and you're done with the email. And then tell him you're going to come play with me. And period. We all know, and we all know that I typed that in quotes to my SVP. Yes. So from the mouth of babes, from right? From the mouth of babes, but also, you know, from, from God's mouth to my ears, mm -hmm. a little louder than a whisper was like, girl, I need you to get it together. Right? Yeah. So faith came into play. My Catholic faith of, 
You love God and only God. You don't have idols. I idolized my boss more than anything because he interrupted church on Sunday. If there was a text, you know, he interrupted the Sabbath. If I was with my family at Sunday dinner, I, one, you idolizing him. That was boom. The second was these children are watching me. So I don't want to be the person that's because they're going to call me out. That's the difference about them and other people. They're going to say, mm, good advice. When do you do that? And what am I supposed to say to that? You know, Sonia, like it's so interesting as you kind of connected all the values on that from the diversity wheel. And because when we coach our clients, we and we also take the same advice for ourselves. When we start thinking about different aspects of that values wheel and when you start breaking those boundaries from each individual wheel and not honoring them, it actually impacts throughout. Right. Like. Here you have your family that's being impacted. So is your faith and your spirituality is being impacted. And like, and it's like, we, we don't know that it's happening or do we know that it's happening? Or we're like, like you said, we're in our own way. My question is, um, you know, like I think we talked about this earlier in our, when we first got on, I don't want to wait to get to desperation and to get to my end or so it feels like to have the joy and honor my values and honor my and be firm on my boundaries. I don't want to have to get to that. You know, like, and again, is it just us in our way or do we have to get to a desperation? Right. right. I, I think one of the, the reasons why, uh, my goal in this next part of whatever career is going to be for me, it's in the point of being defined is I've been certified to be a health coach because I feel like there's something in this story and something about me that says, listen, folks, if I can do it, you can't, I don't look like the perfect trainer. I don't look like, you know, the picture of health. I am you. I was in those shoes. And if I can do it, you can do it. But I think when I now I'm, I'm writing this journey of what got me here, and I keep going back and inserting, oh, wait, there's a, a prequel to that. It's kind of like Star Wars. Oh, wait, there's a prequel to that. Um, and you look at, there are a lot of times I could have done something different. I could have done some of this work. I mean, with no available time, I could have done this. Matter of fact, I was doing it when I did have that coffee cry in public with my BFF. Or when I did have that moment of crises when my niece passed away. Or when I did have that um, great opportunity where, you know, that in-between job, like you got the new job and all of a sudden you feel like there's a refresh in life and maybe you, maybe you get a week off because, you know, in America, that's a big deal instead of taking like two months in between or a sabbatical, which I highly recommend um, because we didn't want to negotiate selfishly for ourselves. We wanted to be there for the new company. You know, they're anxiously waiting for us. But anyway, I think core values work is really key. I can't tell you how many times over life I had the same five core values and I was convinced that those were my core values. My actual core values are not those core values. When you really do work and challenge yourself, when you're living like I was kind of the fake life, faking it till you make it, imposter syndrome, being what everybody wanted me to be, faith, family, friends, honesty, integrity were my core values always. And people said, yep. She values her friends, her family, her faith. Yep, honesty. Yep. My actual core values, faith, 
authenticity, integrity, connection, humor. Those are my actual core values. The freedom in me saying, it doesn't mean family isn't important, but it means I have toxic family, I have dysfunctional family, I have beautiful family. I have family by blood, family by, just cause I called you my sister. <laughs> What's most important in all of that is that I have a connection with them. Because I also value the connection of the random guy I met on the bus, you know, the cashier where I had that powerful conversation. We really are soul sisters. I'm right. BFF. Same, same. But I will say you're bringing up something important that we always start with our clients is about their values, right? Because oftentimes we haven't t- taken stock right? That these are the things that are important to me. These are my deal breakers. These are my personal rag flags that I'm supposed to wait for myself when they are absent. And we, I'll be, and, and Liz, you know, these are, this is the hardest part of coaching to the point that people really resist it. They really resist putting these in place because they're conflicted between their own voice um, and what their family has told them, what they've said out loud to others, and they haven't really reconciled what does it really mean to them. And I am not going to lie, I had a similar experience where I was like, oh, that really don't matter, do it? But can I say that out loud? <laughs> or, you know, like, and in that fear of judgment and those types of things, or the fact that I myself did not know if it mattered to me. I felt like and, and this is a horrible example, but I would still use it because y'all know who I am. And it's like when you break up with somebody, you've been in a long-term relationship. You have to unravel the things that were we and get back to yourself, to the me. And it takes weird things like going to the grocery store and you're like, I don't really need to buy this because we're not together. So I don't need that. But what do I want to buy? And then you're like sitting there stunned like, well, I don't think I want that in front of the grocery store. It's the store. whole <laughs> processing. I mean, we talk about like grieving. We talk about loss. We talk about fear. Those are the three things that everyone has in common. They just process it differently and they're going through that, but they just don't realize that they're going through that. You know, a lot of times we associate grief with the loss of a loved one in terms of death, but you can grieve many, many things, you know, like you thought your life was going to go a certain way or you idolized someone that was a leader in your organization and then they did something that you were like, wow, what are you doing? And you're grieving that kind of like loss or I don't know what it is, but yeah, like it's just, yeah, it's something that we have to kind of reconcile with one another. Sonia, I do want to go into, I'm going to kind of shift a little bit. I do want to talk about Zoe's angels because it is something that is mm-hmm. is really important to me. Um, and I got to experience the, the Zoe's angels uh, fun walk this year in person for the first time since I've been involved with Zoe's angels. And it was so magical. And that's when, when I saw you running around, I was like, and just so y'all know, I've never actually met Sonia in person. <laughs> So when we first met, like for real, for real, was on Zoom. And then um, did you know this, Sharon? Like we've never met each other physically in person. Like I've seen her at the Zoe's Angels, like running around. Like, no, you know, like, I yeah. thought y'all was, I mean, the way y'all move, I thought y'all had, this is, this your coffee girl. This your, y'all roll like that. No. She's going never, to be. Oh, okay. Yes. 
Let's yes, explain. Ma'am. Okay, because that's Absolutely. how y'all got that. Y'all are kindred. Y'all are kindred. <laughs> we are kindred. Like, how did you know? See, when you open up yourself to sisters, that's what happens. But um, tell us a little bit about Zoe's Angels. And then also my question for you from a Zoe's Angel, something that I'm very, very curious about is, how did you or how do you balance your lived experience of losing Zoe and still being able to serve all the Zoe families? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, Zoe is my niece, my sister's uh, daughter. So actually my sister's first daughter. So the loss was oh, monumental on different levels. Um, she was four and a half months old, diagnosed with cancer. Uh, of the liver, hepatoblastoma, which at the time was a rare childhood cancer. I think it's a lot more popular now. Um, She was in the hospital for less than 30 days and underwent so many procedures, including a big surgery, like a liver transplant for a little baby girl, which in and of itself is another very challenging life experience that we're still processing because somebody somebody has to pass away for you to get, you know, that organ. Um, and then she passed away. There was a whole bunch of complicated mixed emotion there. Six or so days after her liver transplant, she passed away. And there's nothing more life shattering than losing a child, but even more so, I think losing an infant in that way. Um, And there's a host of emotions that went through that. But I remember sitting in the family room where they take some of our family while Gina and Mike do whatever they do. We still don't know each of, you know, that whole thing where there's one situation, but there's 20 different perspectives of what happened. We still haven't put all the pieces together. It it unravels as the years go by and we learn more and more. But we were in a family room with my two brothers, a chaplain, and my sister's father-in-law. My brother, Paul, had been married and his now ex-wife, but his wife at the time had lost tragically her family in a car accident, uh, sister, dad, and nephew. Um, and so my brother had already experienced the loss of a nephew. And I had forgotten really that in that moment. So it was my brother, Paul, who said, um, in response to my youngest brother, who was looking at a picture that he last took of Zoe, and he said, I don't wanna remember her like this. So my brother said to him, Uh, we're not going to be that family who lives in the darkness. This thing is so overwhelming that it will pull you into darkness that you can't get out of. And we're not going to be that family. I don't remember anything the chaplain said. I don't remember any of the conversation we had in that room. I remember him saying that, which to me was, you know, a a seed planted. And he came up with this idea of we're going to do Zoe's angels. And my brother is the idea guy. He's not the work guy. And so I was rolling my eyes like, who's going to do the work? Me. Okay. Typical Um, brothers. Typical bro, you know, but I really felt like um, I had had some nonprofit experience and for-profit experience. My dad had had both as well. And so we just drummed up this idea. What Zoe's Angels does is it partners with Texas Children's Hospital in the Houston area through the social work department. They refer a family to us who loses an infant. That means under 12 months old before they reach um, the one-year birthday. If a family loses a child to illness or disease um, and has had a lengthy hospital stay there, then they're eligible for a a pretty significant contribution, a gift, and that's a financial monetary gift. Not about need, because what we feel like is Gina and Mike received an anonymous donation of that same amount when they went through this. And 
um, it was more the significance that she said it gave her that they weren't forgotten, you know, that they mattered and that Zoe mattered. Um, it's also the realization that you're re-traumatized as your bills continue to come in and you don't have a baby, right? And then you think of all the people who didn't have what we had. We had a village, we had a prayer network, we had resources to get money and funds if we needed it. Um, there are people in that hospital we met every day that didn't have any of that. And we became their family, we became their village, we were their pair partners, you know? Um, we were sharing our meals with them. And so we just had this pull for that. And that's what it came to. Um, the lived experience of that is one that you, for most, I think for most losses up to that point, you'll lose grandparents or you lose friends or, you know, uh, friends lose their parents. It's different. It's like, I, I have this life to look back on for them. And so you reconcile it with memories. When it's a baby, it's almost like the healing doesn't go that same direction. Now I'm thinking about all the, like, I, I'm wearing my blessed shirt today, Shara, because this is first week of school. Excited for all my nephews and nieces, but Zoe's not in the pictures. This is always a rough week, right? Where's her first day of school picture? So there's just a reality that you look forward to all the things that she, she never had and that we don't get to have with her and my sister and Mike don't get to have with her. So I think it's one of those things of the lived experience is very different. Uh, at the same time, we experience what most people do in, in mourning, which is everybody's around you initially. I mean, everybody, like your house is full, meals are being delivered, everybody's calling, everybody's checking, everybody's at the funeral, and then nobody's there. And then nobody's there on the random day you have a meltdown. They're not there on the anniversary or the birthday. Uh, they don't know what to do to her on Mother's Day or to him on Father's Day or them on Grandparents' Day. What do we do? Nobody knows what to say. We lost friends, right? Because we grew apart because now we had, they all had kids at the same time and I didn't get invited to first birthdays because they made an assumption it'd be too much for me. Um, we gained friends, strangers that like got us, kindred spirits and now we're BFFs and we're now their sisters and brothers, right? So when you live that experience, what people don't understand who haven't been there is as much as it's the worst experience of your life, it's also the most beautiful experience of your life. And so when I go back to my core values work, I think we weren't so great in the beginning at separating it, Liz. We weren't very good at, we were absorbing everything that they felt. We were going right back to day one. It was salt in the wound. And I had friends asking me, is this smart for you guys to do this? Um, I think as, as life just grew and then as I intentionally did this work, and it helped me in the corporate shift and it helped me in my health shift. It helped me here too. It helped me say, saying no is a good example to those families. Saying not today, you know, crying because I need to was refreshing. I slept well and I got up the next day more energized. Like all that heaviness was gone. Or um, sitting down with a family and showing them empathy, but knowing that now I can see in their eyes hope because they see us living this differently. I didn't, yeah. I didn't realize that until I could look them in the eyes and they, and now they're coming to the event and they're paying it forward. That's the first time we had that. Now I'm like, whoa, we're on a different. Yeah. Cause some people heal towards that. I mean, I, I experienced a, a, a loss with my own, my own father and, um, you know, I share his story and our story and our experience many times, um, against my mom's, uh, 
once um, because um, I always felt like if I could just help one person who's going through um, whatever he, what he went through, that I'm I'm good. And it was kind of part of my healing process. And what I came to realize with loss um, is you can honor the person that's that's been lost and you can still feel that grief and the trauma and everything. And you can also find joy in your, like your, your nieces and your family and in your health and be passionate about what you do and, you know, finding that joy in your life. You can do both. It is possible in that time where you are in the middle of your trauma and the middle of your grief, one, you have to honor those emotions and in those feelings and saying, Hey, I do feel this. I feel shitty today. I'm mm-hmm. having a shit day. Like, and it's okay because there's situations that suck. Right. <laughs> Someone well, told me, I wish I had this box like this. We don't ever put this box in this like crappy box, right. Where it's enormous. Yeah, Tia, Tia, Tia. Yes. We had, I was yes. like, where did I get that from? Like Tia's Tia coming Norman. in here. But, but yeah, I, so, but can yeah, I can ahead. I just offer like you know I know this is a heavy topic for some who's listening to it, but I, I just want to acknowledge that to Liz's point that this is there's empowerment when something is empty. Yeah, right. The the the, the theme here is something that may be lost or the gas tank is empty that is not full. Right, like when something is not at is at its capacity, right? And it is depleted. There's so much fertile ground for growth and and empowerment and opportunity. And I I take that on, not with any of these shared experiences that you are speaking of, but in the instance of 2020 was a lot, people felt a lot of it where we all kind of got pulled back and had to pull the curtains back on life, see ourselves for who we are, how we accept things, our values, all of those pieces. And people went from full every day after the power that got under control to empty. And we are the result in this story, this podcast, all of the things you just share are the result of the empty place was fertile ground for growth. So if someone is out there listening to this story right now, this is the opportunity to just really go lean in, right? Lean in and say, hey, I I am at an empty place. What is it that I need in this moment that from individual support, from collective support, but what is the thing that will start to make me the center of the value system that I need to have moving forward. And that right there, I think is, is I hope people heard that because right. Oftentimes we spend, we hear this story is sad. It signal things about um, sympathy and compassion, but what we need to hear is empathy for each other in this yes. moment that we've all experienced it. So tie that with to Liz said about I me mean, to me, this is about the one piece of advice I give people. She said, do you have to get to a point of desperation to have a shift? And you just said, there's fertile ground when you're empty for growth, right? There's fertile ground. Okay, let's make the connection. I try to tell people, do not say, well, I never lost a child. So therefore, don't wait till you lost a child for that to happen. Well, I've never been at rock bottom with my health. I've been pretty blessed. You could have been, have been feeling an empty feeling about being a mom who never has your own time. 
You could have been feeling empty about being a dad who is active, but compared to all the other dads, like you're not. I mean, you could, there's a host of things that you could have, which is your fertile ground for growth. That's number one. The other thing that I think is important is that when I think of this experience and what you said about joy is we, including the little kids that there's the half of our children that knew Zoe and there's the, the other half that doesn't. So Zoe literally is in the middle of our grandchildren in this family, but we're all team Zoe and they all know her. And the youngest girl will always say, I feel her in my heart. I'm like, well, that's great, Ava. And so what we do is they have to understand that grief has joy in its equation. Mourning and joy is grief, right? Love is in grief. So if we don't live that life, which I think is what you see at the event, Liz, you see us cry when it hits it hard. You see us running around smiling as best we can because those kids need to understand not we fake it. Like look for joy, look for the rainbow in the rain. And that's a big thing for our family um, is they look for rainbows and they say that's Zoe. And on a bad I, day, oh my gosh, one. I okay. look at rainbows. Ah, I didn't right? know this. Actually, it's like awesome. I was driving and I was in the passenger side and there was a big old rainbow and I was like, mom, stop the car. See, you stop when you see it, right? Yeah. Everybody has their thing. My sister, it's ladybugs, which is why you always see focus on a ladybug. Yeah. For me, it's always been a rainbow. For Liz, it's a rainbow. Everybody has. Girl, we are sisters. This is getting a little scary now. <laughs> well, no, you know what? I have a uh, we have a, a shared friend who always looks for feathers, like bird feathers. feathers. Yeah, feathers. Yeah, yes. and yes. I never, I never heard of that before. And she shared that story with me. And ever since then, every time I see a bird feather, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. I see. You, you know, in your life, if you pay attention in your life, you have yours too. Just mm-hmm. we're on autopilot. Right. And at the darkest moments when I need something to focus on, instead of the forest, I need a tree. Instead of the tree, I need a branch. Instead of the branch, I need a leaf. You break I mean, it I, down. Break it down until it's yeah. done. And then that becomes your thing. And when that's your thing, it you it's like a car when you start looking at yellow, you buy a yellow car and all of a sudden you see yellow cars. I mean, that's also part of that. That is but true. <laughs> the universe, the universe is going to take care of you when you need it. So to me, two things you can do regardless of how busy you are is what is your thing? For me, it's a rainbow. For Liz, it's a rainbow. For your friend, it's a feather. What is your thing? My sister, it's a ladybug. And man, I'm telling you that thing will save you on the days you need it. And the second is do your work on these core values, guys. Mm-hmm. Tell them again, Sonia. Tell them again. Because they don't be listening to us. They don't at. listen to us. They think, mm-hmm. oh, you're coaches. Y'all got it all together. <laughs> Y'all, I'm telling you, know, I love what you guys do because it's a drip. I mean, we're responsible for taking action. The coach can only go so far. Yep. But as somebody who used to teach people and not do it, he- hello, I'm now the person doing the work. Mm. Now I can tell you it actually works. I'm not telling you as a coach. I'm telling you as the client. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? The client of yeah. life. Like it's working. Yes. But I have, I'm curious right here, right here. You have seen both sides of this thing, nonprofit and for profit. And you said you just mentioned that you've seen some things work. I am curious with the great resignation and everything that's going on. What are some shared things that you think that each does well that we all can learn from? Yeah. So in in running a nonprofit, um, especially in the beginning where it's all family and only maybe one or two of us have had true corporate experience, 
um, nonprofits need to really learn uh, that it's a business. You, you really, as much as your heart is in this and your mission is beautiful and resonates and strikes chords, you're running a business. So for a really strong foundation, nonprofits could really learn from companies about the very core uh, business practical items that are needed. Strong financials, strong strategy, strong market. Like, listen, we had a really tough decision trying to fill out our IRS application for a 501c3 because you have to define your scope. And we fought so much about getting to the criteria of only helping children under the age of 12 months because they were like Zoe and what a, a lengthy stay meant. But you know what? I'm making business decisions right now that I have to turn down referrals because the baby is 14 months or from a different hospital. Mm, yeah, That's interesting. And, and yeah. nonprofits think, well, I have a bleeding heart. I'm just gonna, you can't run a business that way, guys. You're gonna get in a lot of trouble by giving to one and not the other. So there's practical parts of your business where we could learn from each other, right? On the flip side, our success as now, Liz, I'm excited you've been able to see it face-to-face -face in our event. Our success is, it's a people business. We're, we're, people are connected to our story, not our business. They're connected to my family personally. They're connected, they're, they're bought in because they bought into Zoe's story and they never met her. So the, the for-profit side needs to understand the impact most important factor, which is how powerful connection is, how powerful emotion is, um, pride, um, celebration, proud. You just said, I'm proud of you, right? The accolades are important when they're meaningful. Humor, how we make each other laugh at work in a project, our favorite project teams are we laughed so much. Um, the only way to get through a nonprofit is to laugh at ourselves, is to cry when we're emotional, it's to share a story when we're feeling overwhelmed and be honest so we can move through it. You know, too many families my sister has, or, you know, we hit a milestone recently of how much money we've given since inception. And we all cried about how did that even happen? Like, this is on the side. This is not even our full-time job. Like what is happening, right? Um, For-profit could learn how much more a team can produce effectively if they're cared for and if they truly have a common mission. It's, and for me, my frustration in, in both worlds was always like, guys, I've been in both worlds and we keep convincing ourselves that, ah, no, that doesn't really work. Like I'm living it. You don't want yeah. it, I'll go somewhere else. And it's we're gonna have different. a we're gonna have a guest on that he's building his company very similarly. He's like he always talks about he's a very uh, huge business person, and he he always challenges me one to always create my own business. <laughs> he's like you need to make your own company, and then two he's like what is the problem you are trying to solve, and who are you solving it for, and how are you going to solve it? So he's always questioning me this from a business mindset. I invited him onto the podcast and he and uh, he says, why, why do you want me to be on it? And I said, well, I want to get to know more about you and like how you are as a CEO and this and that. And then he started telling me a story and he started bringing out like my coaching strategies, like well, not mine, but like coaching strategies. He's like, we we have a value system uh -huh. and these are the three values that we honor. And right. I was like, I'm done. You're coming on our podcast because it is possible and he's creating a very successful company for it. And, and he started from the foundation. So he's like, I have to do this from the, from the bottom up, but right. so like 
Sonia, thank you for sharing that. Um, and and we're going to put on, when we publish this um, episode, we're going to put on our website how people can connect with Zoe's Angels, how people can donate to Zoe's Angels, how people can get involved, um, you know, all those kind of things. Um, we appreciate, you know, the story that you've shared with us. We usually like to end our episodes on a moment of reflection. Um, so I I know you, we've given every our listeners so many moments of reflection, but if there's something you want to leave our listeners with, please, you know, share it with us um, right now and kind of in our moment of reflection. What's so funny is um, literally right before this, I always do my own meditation and a prayer when I'm... Um, in, in the moment where I feel like, hey, this is a really good opportunity just to share what needs to be shared, not what I feel needs to be shared, right? And I saw a post and it said, when you follow the crowd, you lose yourself. But when you follow your soul, you will lose the crowd. Eventually, your soul tribe will appear, but do not fear the process of solitude. And what I will say to you is that I encourage a lot of people to do the work and all they look at is this other side and they go, Oh, to be you. I wish that could happen to me. I'm like, well, hold up. There's a whole flow of solitude from the point that I stopped following the crowd, um, which where I lost myself. Right. And then I studied my soul and I started to lose a lot of people around me, but it really opened up space for my people. What this called my soul tribe you know, and that solitude now is something that I see as beautiful. It was hard. And I think we can experience that in the pandemic. We can think about that. Like I said, when you lose yourself because your identities in your job, your identities in your motherhood, fatherhood, sisterhood, no motherhood, whatever your thing is, um, don't be afraid of the process, but prepare. Solitude sometimes comes and it doesn't feel good, but y'all just hang on. Just hang on, because when your soul tribe comes, it's just like butter. Oh, butter. butter's the best. You know, and I'll end on what I told you, that this all came from, how do you get to your point of loving yourself, Sonia? Well, I was forced to be in the kitchen to cook, mostly because of pandemics that I can't go out and eat, but also because I had to change my diet, gluten-free, dairy-free, wheat-free, yada, yada. And so I learned to be in the kitchen, and old Sonia would use four or five pans to cook. And then it was annoying because I had so many dishes to wash until I started watching online recipes to get ideas. And they would say, oh, you see all that at the bottom of the pan, just add some chicken broth or wine or water. Come on, come on with that gravy. Stir it up and mm -hmm. get all those bits in because that's where the flavor is. That's the richness of the food. And I started doing that, everything tasted better. And in my mind, those are my bits. I used to trash them. I used to wash them. I wanted them to be cleaner. I wanted them to go away. They were annoying. They were heavy. They weren't worth anything. Um, they were burned, right? Those are my bits. And I just love all my bits now. And I, I think that's that authenticity component. It was like, uh, and not only do I love my bits, my soul tribe loves me for my bits. You know what I mean? Thank you so much, Sonia. Like literally, that's it. 
That's it. Because you, there's nothing else that we need. We need to all focus on our bits. And I'll be honest with you. Thank you so much for this conversation. I think it was so timely for when this is going to be broadcast that people need it. People needed this. So thank you so much for your authenticity. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you all. Follow us on Instagram uh, at More Than Words Podcast. Uh, send us emails uh, for questions or if you want to see other guests at Liz and Shara at More Than Words Podcast. We have an amazing year, rest of the year coming. And I think this is this is going to come out kind of in the middle of the year as people like have the rest of the, you know, what year are we in? 2022? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can still have do some work if you have, if you want to do, still some, do work. some work. Yes. So, you know, so thank you, Sonia, so much. Thank you for uh, all of our listeners too. Thank you, everyone.